0: So if you weren't here last week, we decided to switch things up just a little bit in terms of the series of sermons that we were in, and we're going to get back to where we were. We were in a series called Elephant in the Room, and we were, we were going to focus on apologetics, and apologetics is just a, a fancy biblical word of saying a reasoned argument, Right, standing for something with a reasoned argument. Uh, but as we were getting into that series, I really felt like the Spirit of God uh, was telling us to kind of take a beat, <laughs> All right, to pause for a moment and have a team meeting. And that's what we did uh, last week. We had a bit of a team meeting. And we talked about how, as Christians, we're not put here just to win a, a cultural war. Right? We're, we're, we're not here just to establish, like, uh, uh, we were never put here to establish a, a new government. And we're not here to stand on the, the street corner um, shouting and trying to point out other people's wrongs or, or even on the street corner of social media, right? right? So as Christians, we, we have a different purpose. Our purpose centers around the gospel, and that's what we talk a lot about, right? The The good news. Uh, the the news that Jesus was born of a virgin, uh, lived a, a perfect life. He he couldn't uh, a life that we could not live ourselves. That uh, he he died a horrible death on the on the cross that he did not deserve. He was buried in the grave, and then what? Three days later, he rose from the grave, and now is at the right hand of our Father God. Until he comes again and he establishes uh, this new heaven and this new earth. And, and, and so also we could be reunited with the Father and church. Right, That's the most important thing. That's the foundation that we have to have with every conversation, with every difficult uh, uh, apologetical type conversation that we may have in the future. Right, The gospel, right? the story of Jesus, is the most important thing, period. In church, everything, literally everything that we, we do should center around proclaiming that gospel. And that is what changes the world. Right? That, that's how we, God propels us into changing our culture by reaching our neighbors with, with the greatest commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, right? and mind and strength, but also loving our neighbors as ourselves. Right? That, that's His will. But here's the thing, church, uh, I, I, I'm not that dumb, and I know that Satan works hard, right? right we, we know that in 1 Peter, it says he's roaming around, seeking to devour, like a, a roaming lion looking to, to jump on its prey, and Satan's main job is to keep us distracted, to keep us from the focus, to, to put our minds on everything other than the gospel, other than the, the, the cross of Christ, other than our, our purpose to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbor, right? And so you could say it like this, Satan's job is to create chaos, chaos. However we describe it, I'm just using the word chaos, but that's, that's you know, the, the stuff that is all around us, the, the, the stuff that we stuffed, the stuff that we stuffed into the back of the cross last week. As about 40 of us came forward and, and wrote prayers of, of repentance and prayers of, of, of just saying, God, I've forged my life on something other than you, which we always do. But these things are distracting me from you, from your purpose, from your kingdom. So however we describe it, it's chaos and... <laughs> Chaos, it's a funny word, because if I asked everyone to get in a line right here, right now, today, and I asked you to define chaos to me, if I lined up everyone one by one in this row, I would get 60 different definitions of the word chaos, right? Chaos is powerful, it's painful, it's a little bit messy, and it's loud, but it can also be quiet, Right? Chaos can be tear-filled, look a little like brokenness, despair. Right? I mean, just look, can you, can you just picture this, this image? Can you see a, a teenage girl sitting at her desk working hard for her math homework for the evening? And see her kind of wince and p- In that household. It's just hard for her to hold back her tears when she knows that someone has just left the house in anger again, and she doesn't know if they're going to come back this time. So unable to go on with her math homework, she, she puts her pencil down. She, she picks up her Apple AirPods. She puts them in her ears, and she, she cranks them up as loud as they possibly can go, just to drown out the pain. It's chaos. You can, you can feel it. All right, what, what about a soldier? Can you see a soldier? He's, he's carrying a, a duffel bag over his shoulder, and he walks away from the, the camp, away from the base, and he's headed toward a, a big solitary tree that's often in the distance, and he, he goes out and he finds the perfect spot under that tree, and he sets the bag down. He pulls out three helmets three sets of boots and three rifles. Right, he takes the boots, he lines them up in a nice neat row, placing them side by side. He then, uh, he takes the, the rifles and he, he plunges um, them down to the ground with the bayonet fixed on them. And then he puts the helmet on top. Then with his, his still bloody and dirty hands, right, shaking, standing there, Quietly remembering at these three little makeshift memorials his friends, his brothers. It's chaos. Oh, how about one more story, real quick. Right, can you see an older gentleman sitting at the funeral? He's quietly sitting off to the side by himself. And behind him there are family, there's friends, there's concerned ones, people who, who love him very, very much. All, it, it, all this is taking place because in the, the middle of the room... Looming over uh, just the the entire room is this casket. And inside the casket is this man's wife, and the last 48 hours have been the longest that this man and this his wife have been apart in 48 years of, of marriage. And after today, he'll spend the first night alone in his home. And as he sits there, right, tears begin to form in his eyes. You know what chaos looks like. We know what it feels like to have chaos in our lives, Foundry Church. We all know the mess that our lives can feel like or the shame that we have about things that have happened or are happening or the things that distract us from the gospel. Now, like I said, if you were here last week, we wrote down uh, something that is creating a distance between us and God that we needed to repent of. And I would be willing to bet that, that those things, every item that was written down on those sheets of paper or even the things that we just prayed about before we took communion, right, I would be willing to bet that those things, right, you don't feel peace about those things. You feel a little topsy-turvy on the inside about those things. A little maybe disappointed. A little bit of chaos may come to mind. Maybe, maybe just a feeling of chaos, but, but it's rooted in, in being distracted. There's, there's just so much going on in your life. It's been so busy, so your priorities are a little off chaos. Just a storm of chaos is what we're feeling. And those little slips of paper, whatever you wrote down, go to show that there are many situations that we could have talked about, stories that I could have shared. And while chaos is is probably not your favorite feeling in the world, it's good to know what chaos feels like, isn't it? It's good because it keeps things real. Chaos, it keeps things in perspective, it keeps us a little bit honest. It reminds us that there is something bigger. That's why we, we, we a lot of times cry out and worship when there's chaos in our lives. And it points us to something better. So the real question is, is how do we get to something better? Right? How do we take the chaos and turn it right side up? How, how do we let uh, chaos, uh, let the, the things that we wrote down that are, are nailed to the cross, as it says in Colossians, right? how do we let those things go and we get more of Jesus? Well, I... I briefly mentioned it last week, but for the next couple of weeks, we, we made that pivot as we lead up to Easter, and I want to continue to refocus on it. How to get, how to get more uh, growth, how to get this, this peace, how to get more Jesus into our life so that we can share Jesus, how, how we can be disciples who make disciples, right? how to find peace while we're forging our life on God, and that in turn will help us in life. Right? To, to lose chaos and to be that disciple who makes disciples. And so this is, this is how, right? We, we are in the Word of God, but we do that with the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, so that we're on the mission of God. So today, let's just focus on that very first step, the Word of God. Now, I, I cannot tell you the importance of being in the Word of God. In fact, I really don't have to tell you. A few groups uh, did a study. The American Bible Society recently came out with a study and said that if, the, if people spend a couple minutes a week, right, just a couple minutes a week, at least four days a week, reading the Bible, there are nine things that happen. Right? The first is this. Take a look. They're more generous to church and to charity. All right, just a few minutes for four days a week you have more vibrant prayer lives there are more they are more likely to attend church you're more likely to volunteer in church in the community. you have a greater commitment to Jesus Christ, right the God that we're forging our life on. we, have, we might attain a higher level of education we have a sense of divine calling in our work, what we do. we know it's on purpose, for a reason, right? That that's American Bible Society. LifeWay Research states this. If you spend a few minutes every day reading your Bible, this is what happens. Feeling lonely will drop 30%. Anger issues that you might be dealing with will drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling, feeling spiritually stagnant will drop 60%. Feeling pornography drops 61%. Now get this, sharing your faith, something we're all called to do, jumps 200%, right? And discipling others, so not just leading people to Christ, right, but, but teaching them the commandments of the Lord to obey these things, jumps 230%, right? Does anybody want those things in your life? Right? Anyone want to be more generous and really uh, want to pray more? Anybody want to have a divine calling on your life? All right? Less bitterness, more evangelism, and discipleship? It's the Word of God. Right? We all have that, and it's right here in our Bibles. But, but as always, like I said, Satan is trying to cause chaos, to distract us. And so there are some challenges to being in the Word of God that I just want to make us aware of as we're preparing our hearts leading up to this Easter season. The first one is this, looking in all the wrong places. That's one of the first challenges that we have to be aware of. Listen, if we're not in the Bible every day, we will develop a weak faith. A weak faith. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of overreacting, Andrew. A weak faith? Right? Well, listen, we live in a, wor- a world where at a literal moment's notice, we can have access to every piece of information that there ever has been, right? Like the, the flick of a finger, we can know anything. I mean, I was in a, I'm in this, this nerd group. Uh, it's a theology study group that we, and I'm supposed to, they gave me, I'm supposed to study AI, and how that's going to affect preaching in the next five years. And I wasn't very happy about this assignment. Um, and so I had to sit with the people who chat, um, I even forget the name because that's how excited I was for the meeting. What? Yeah, they know. Cameron and Trent know. Um, I did to sit with them this week from, from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock on Thursday, right? Prime working hours to learn how to use chat to learn how to use that, right, and listen, I thought it was just going to be Google 2.0. It's not, right? It's not. We can know anything at the snap of a finger. Listen, we live in a world where people are influencing us all the time. It's just the way it is. If you go to school, uh, there are people there that are influencing your mind, If you go to work, there are people at your job who are influencing your mind. If you watch the news, there are people of that particular news station that are going to influence your mind. It's like this. Our minds are always being discipled. And if we're spending 99% of our time being discipled by something other than the word of God, well, then we're spending 99% of our time being discipled by someone or something other than God. Right? We're not forging our life on God. right? Parents, let me give you an example and see if this makes sense. Right? Do you remember the first time that your kid came home and they said they needed a new phone? And They were begging. They were pleading. And every chance they got, they gave you a list of reasons why they needed that new phone. And you kept saying no because you wanted to protect them from the mess of having a phone and what that all entails as long as possible. And, of course, the day came where where they come to you and they say this. They say, everyone else's parents got them a phone. And and this was the immediate response you had. Well, I'm not everyone else's parents. (laughs) That is what God is trying to say to us when we look up at the heavens and we say, well, everyone else is doing this. Or everyone else thinks this way. Or everyone else says that this is okay. God is is looking down on us and he's saying, I'm not everyone else. He says, I am. It's his name. God is looking down and he says, I'm not everyone else. I am. He says, I am the truth in a world that says that there is no absolute truth. He says, I am patience in a world that says, hurry up or you're going to miss out. He says, I am kindness in a world that says, kindness is only for people who look, act, and think like you. He says, I am the way in a world that says there are a million ways. He says, no, I'm the way. He says, I am the peace in a chaotic world. All right, but church. Foundry, we, we miss all that because we are looking to everything else but Jesus, right? to, to every other place and person and, and TikTok video that there is. Right, Church, we cannot look at our lives and wonder why it always feels so messy when we're not willing to take five minutes each day to let our minds be influenced by the Prince of Peace. Right? We cannot keep looking in all the wrong places and expect to find all the right things. Right? The, the, uh, that's one challenge. The other challenge can actually come from the church itself, and, and it's like this. It's, it's this. It's giving the final authority to anything other than the word of God. Right? Listen, let me explain. There, there are some areas where the church, and I'm talking the big C church, uh, the global church, right, that all, like all the churches, we give the final authority to something other than God. Sometimes we, as the Big C Church, let things creep in and influence us into letting other things become the final say. And these things are either cultural, um, emotional, or even like historical, however we want to say it. So let me explain. All right, sometimes in an effort to reach uh, the world, the culture, we let the culture tell us what is true, what is right, what is the way. It's happened since the very foundation of the church, the very founding of the church in the book of Acts. In the Bible, Paul wrote a letter after letter to churches who were were letting cultural ideas of truth seep in and change what God wanted for his church. Heck, right? and the church in, Corinthian, uh, in Corinth uh, was getting drunk from communion uh, because in, in their world, in their time period, when you were worshiping the idols, you would get drunk and you would do things in their temples that God was definitely not on board with. <laughs> right? And so he's like, no. And then the church in Corinth, they were like, hey, this looks fun. Let's do that. And God was like, no. And things, things like this have been happening uh, since then, right? Before the Reformation uh, movement by Luther and others, the church was selling salvation. No, right? And then the people were, were, were using the, the institution of the church to, to justify enslaving people. Again, right? The Word of God. No, it says, right? You get the point. The final authority for all things is found in God's Word alone. Right Period. And not from outside sources that, that this world has to offer. Right? But sometimes it's not outside sources. Sometimes we're influenced by our own feelings and emotions. Church, right? God uh, can and definitely does still speak to us, but if your journal or if your dreams are more important to you than the word of God, you might be letting those things influence you. <laughs> Right? And the word of God is steady and it's on changing on like our feelings and situations. So be sure to measure the, the, the special message you get from God against the word of God every time. And then the final influence can sometimes come from the church itself in terms of, of history, right? Or, or, or liturgy, however we want to say it, right? Church, I, I want to be clear. I, I love liturgy. I'm a man who likes order and plans and everything in its place. I love to follow a pattern and a rhythm. If I could, we would sing the doxology every week. We even follow a liturgy, just a order of service. It's in our bulletin. But if I, but if I find myself worshiping tradition of things before God, then what am I doing? I'm I'm missing the mark. Right? There's an old saying in our heritage that warns against the worshiping the methods that we use over the method. A maker, and it goes like this. It simply says, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. Right? Our, our principles come from the word of God. So liturgy, church tradition, and heritage are great. But if, but if we cannot forget that before we were the, the foundry, or before we were a, a Christian church, we're a group of people who are following the way, as it's described in Acts, the way, the truth, and the light were people who followed Jesus. And, and there were no church buildings. There, there, were, there were people meeting in people's houses. We just talked to each other about what God is doing in our lives. And there were no responsive readings or doxologies or hymns versus modern worship debates. There's just worship of our God. Now, we must follow God's word above all other things. Right? The best human ideas are still human ideas and not as good as God's, we must follow the the word over what the culture says, over what our emotions say, and what over tradition says. And He is the final authority, and that's in His Word. So it's the Word of God, right? So those are the challenges uh, to peace that we might find that comes from the Word of God. Uh, but, I, but I think we're up to the challenge, Foundry. Right. I, I, I know we are. We have to be. Right? And here's how we face those challenges head on. First, we, we face those challenges in our home. Look at what it says in your Bibles in Deuteronomy 6. Go ahead and turn there. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. You can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you to use, to take, to have. All right? Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. Turn to it. Use the table of contents if you need to. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is how we start this fight. It simply says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk, uh, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, uh, you shall be as, as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on your, your doorpost of your house and on your gate. Right, now, this, this scripture, this is something, this section of scripture is, is something that during Jesus' time, the, the Jewish people would have known by heart and recited over and over again. Right, church, the, the Great Commission, Right before the Great Commission, was the, the commission of God to parents to teach your child how to know the word of God and to walk with the word of God in all that they do. Right? All, all the churches in the New Testament uh, that were established were established with this understanding in mind, Foundry. <laughs> they didn't have youth ministers. They didn't have children's pastors. They didn't even have pastors' pastors. right? They had this verse. They had this idea that parents would do all that they could to reach their kids with the truth of the Bible. And by the way, here's a truth from the very beginning of time. Children have never been very good at listening to their parents, but they have always been good at imitating them. That is why the Word of God is so important to Right? The, the most important thing you can ever do for your children is to uh, walk with God, to know him, to read the Bible in front of them, with them, because they will follow what you do. Uh, I mean, look at what it says in Deuteronomy, like we just read. It's not just a pray with your kids before uh, bed kind of work for the parents. Right? No, this is, this is kind of radical. It says to talk about it all the time. It says to wear it on your wrists and your forehead. It says to write it on the door frames of your home. The word of God is to be everywhere and in everything and for all things. Why? Right? Because the word of God brings about the peace of God in a world that causes nothing but chaos. Now, one of my, one of my nieces, her name is Holland. She has fiery red hair, and she has a personality to match. Included in that dynamic personality is a lot of emotions. And as a family, we say, Holland has a lot of feelings. (laughs) And I love it. But do you know what my sister has to do with Holland every day before she walks into the school? And she does it with all her kids in different ways. She prays with them. She talks about God with with her. She brings her peace with the word of God because she has her feelings. And I love this. Right, Jim and Emily Edmondson, uh, they do this with their daughter Rose. Emily told me that every day they remind her of the great commandment of scripture, to love God and to love people. And they say that to her every day as they drop her off at her one in a million activities. Right, that is what we are all supposed to be doing. That is how we are supposed to be leading our families, moms and dads. We are supposed to be leading them with the word of God. Now, The second way we beat those challenges that we talked about is this. We we read the Bible to obey the Bible. Listen, I know, I know, right? We we had a great powerful, you know, Sunday last Sunday. But listen, it comes down to this, this root. Like, it's not always about emotion, right? It's not always reading the Bible just to to feel something, but it's just to, to sometimes to obey, because sometimes it, it might say something that we, we don't necessarily jive with. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 28 in the, the New Testament. Turn there in your Bibles, because this is one of the, the sections of scripture that we should have highlighted in our Bibles or underlined. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we know this is the, the great commission. It says, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is a verse... That you've probably heard a lot around here at the foundry. But I want to draw your attention to something here. It says says that we are to make disciples by baptizing them. And then by teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. Does it say to teach them to know everything? No, right? It says to teach them to obey. To obey, right? Church, there's a lot of people in this world who know a lot about the Bible. But they do not obey the Bible. Do, do you know anybody like that, right? People who can quote a lot of Bible at you, but they don't know Jesus, right? It's this it's, it's because right, knowing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God are two very different things. Church, some, sometimes I, I think we make it a little bit too complicated than what it is. Right? We think that the Word of God is a lofty thing. A thing that, that is only good for scholars to read, or, or and little old us, we can't, we can't do it, it's not for us to understand, that's not true. Right? The, the Word of God is practical, it's applicable, and it's knowable by all of us. Right? 99% of us are struggling with things like forgiveness, and coveting, and worry, and how to deal with all that is right here in, in our laps. Right? And it's readable, and we can apply it. We just, need to, we just need to do it. And finally, we stand up to the challenges by, by doing this. We, we're reading the Bible to ensure our leaders are worth following. I mean, look at what it says in, in Acts chapter 17. Let me, let me flip over there. Because this is just a, a cool story. Acts 17, verses uh, 11 through 12, simply t- talks about this. It says, Now that the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Right, this, is, this is every church's dream. Right? Because the people of the church were examining uh, the scriptures every day to make sure that their, their pastor, that their elders, that the people who were talking were telling them the truth. Listen, I say this often from up here, but don't take my word for it. Right, You've got to take God's word for it. Examine the text that we read each Sunday. Read it over and over again. You, you study it. You pray about it. You obey it for yourself. Right, Mackenzie, in our table group, in our, in our Bible study, our small group, reminded me of a quote, and we don't know who said it, so we're attributing it to her. Um, she said, it's, 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 right, it's, if the only time you are in the word of God is when you hear it from your preacher on Sunday morning, and then you're living off the crumbs from another man's table, when you could be living off the full bread of life. All right, (laughs) Mackenzie. Listen, we're not going to be able to fight the chaos of this world, the lies of this world, the busyness of this world, the things that we wrote down in such a powerful moment. Right? We're not going to be able to fight for the names that are on our locks, the people that we're we're trying to to lead to Christ, the, the people who we're trying to share the gospel with if we only spend 30 minutes each Sunday in the word of God. Right, you cannot win the battle if you're not willing to pick up the weapon. You know, all those messy subjects, those elephant-in-the-room topics that I promise we're going to get back to. All those topics can be addressed if we're not, can't be addressed if we're not willing to pick up our Bibles and to learn the truth. Right, all, the, all the chaos of this world cannot be stopped if we're not willing to, to stop just for a few minutes each day and rest in the prince of peace and his word. Right, I want so much for our church than a Sunday kind of faith. Right, God wants so much for his people than just a couple hours each week. He, he wants life-changing, world-moving, spirit-filled people who have peace amidst chaos. Right? He, he, he wants you to know and he wants you to know him. And the, the single best way that we can do that is we can be in the word of God. Because you see, peace is not the absence of chaos, it's the presence of God. Right? Peace is not the absence of chaos, it's the presence of God. It, it's finding him in his word and standing on those promises. It's knowing him. It's knowing the way he acts. It's knowing the way that he feels about us. It is knowing that even when the world around us seems to be so topsy-turvy and messy and confusing, our God is a God who's good and wise, and he has our best interests in mind. I'm going to invite the the band to come back up here and and, and, and as they work their way back up here, let me, let me take you back to that girl, right? The girl with her AirPods in her, in her ears that we talked about at the beginning. Can you, again, just picture her. Can you see her there still, still trying to hide from the, the, the shouting and still trying to figure out algebra amidst all that mess? She again, she winces in pain when hearing the door slam at the other end of the house. It's again that same familiar sound in her household. And as she, she turns up those AirPods, it's not music we hear. No, no, she's listening to these words from Psalms 45 where it says, God is our refuge and strength. <laughs> A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form, though the, the waters tremble and its swelling, God is our refuge and our strength. It's peace. Peace is not the absence of the chaos, it's the presence of God. Right now, remember that soldier. Can you see that soldier? He's carrying that duffel bag. It's over his shoulder. He, he, he walks away from the camp. He's headed toward that big solitary tree. He goes out and he finds a good spot under that tree. He sets the bag down. He unzips it and he pulls out those three helmets, those three sets of boots and three rifles. And he, he takes the boots. He lines them neatly in a row, placing them side by side. He takes the the rifles, he fixes bayonets on them, and he with a great force he plunges them down into the dirt. Then with his still bloody and dirty, shaky hands, he places neatly the helmets on top of those rifles. Then he goes back into his bag. And he pulls out a pack of cloth and he unwraps the cloth to reveal a Bible. And he stands there in front of these three little memorials and he turns to John 15, 13, where it says, no greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. It's peace. Peace is not the absence of chaos. It's the presence of God. And he got that from the, the word of God. And don't forget the, the wonderful old gentleman sitting at a funeral. He's just sitting there off, off to the side. And behind him are all those family, all those friends, all those concerned ones, people who love him very much. And all this because in the middle of the room, like we said, they're looming is a casket. Just a shadow over the whole room. And inside that casket is the man's wife, and the last 48 hours have been the longest that this man and his wife have been apart in their 48 years of marriage. And again, after today, he'll spend the first night alone in his home. He begins to cry. he, He cries because the minister announces that the final scripture reading will be from Revelation and he knew it was coming, but the words were more powerful than ever when the the minister read Revelation 21, verse 4, where it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's peace. You see, church, right? Again, peace is not the absence of chaos, it's the presence of God. And we get that with the word of God. We get that when we are in community with the people of God, which we'll talk about next week. We get that by the spirit of God, which he's given us as a helper, which we'll talk again in a little bit all because we have a mission. You notice that that these people, that their stories, they didn't change, but peace still came because of the presence of God, right? These, These sticky subjects that we were talking about and we'll talk about, believe me, right? We have peace in those, even with these hard truths of scripture because of who God is, right? One of the things we call him is the Prince of Peace. Why? Right? Because the presence of Jesus, in that presence, we find everything that is missing from this world. In the presence of Jesus, we find strength. We, we find vision, we find truth, we find hope, we find victory, we find grace. <laughs> we find a future. That's our God. And we got to know him. Right? And Jesus says, I am the word. We don't just don't read it we obey it and we stand together today and we worship him let's do that now